Thank you, praise team, for getting me in my spiritual mood, enabling me to speak up here. That was great. And if you notice, most of the songs are the theme of what I'm about to speak on, love. When a nightclub owner opened on Main Street, the only church in that small town organized an all-night prayer meeting. The members asked God to burn down the club. And within a few minutes, lightning struck the club and it burned to the ground. The owner sued the church, which denied responsibility. After hearing both sides, the judge said, It seems that wherever the guilt may lie, the nightclub owner believes in prayer, while the church doesn't. So on that note, let's open in prayer. <clears throat> our God and our Father, we come before you this morning with joyful hearts. Joyful because you are our salvation. Joyful for since the beginning, your will was that none should perish, but have everlasting life <clears throat> through you. Thank you that you have worked out our salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ, and that through him we can come to you just as we are, sinners without a plea. Forgiven and redeemed, not by our doing, but by your grace and love for the world. May we, as you have commanded us, show your love to all. May we be seen as your ambassador. And may those we come into contact with be so touched by our love for, for them that they will want to know you and your wonderful grace. May the whole world know of your love for all of mankind and that your love for us is expressed through the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ. And may the words spoken this morning be pleasing to your ears. In Jesus' name, amen. Our topic this morning is the Apostle John. The Apostle John was one of the twelve apostles of Jesus according to the New Testament. And he is believed to be the author of five New Testament books. The Gospel of John, the three short epistles that also bear his name, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. Generally listed as the youngest of the apostles, he was the son of Zebedee and Salome, or Joanna as she is sometimes referred to. His brother was James, who was another of the twelve apostles. John was a fisherman, and he worked with his brother James in partnership with Andrew and Peter. And according to John's gospel, John and Andrew first were disciples of John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist said of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God, these two disciples followed Jesus. Christian tradition holds that John outlived the remaining apostles, and that he was the only one to die of natural causes. John was also part of Jesus' inner circle, along with Peter and James. In his gospel, John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. John was given the privilege of witnessing Jesus' conversion, conversation sorry, with, the, with Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John 
were the only witnesses of the raising of the daughter of Jairus. Jesus sent only John and Peter into the city to make preparation for the final Passover meal, the Last Supper. At the meal itself, the disciple whom Jesus loved sat next to Jesus. It was customary to lie among upon couches at meals, and this disciple leaned on Jesus. After the arrest of Jesus, Peter and the other disciple, John, followed him into the palace of the high priest. John alone, among the apostles, remained near Jesus at the foot of the cross on Calvary, alongside numerous women. John's importance in the Twelve grew as he matured, and after the crucifixion, he became a pillar in the Jerusalem church. As Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and that they to the Jews. The son of Zebedee was very closely associated with Peter in the early activities of the Christian movement, becoming one of the chief supporters of the Church of Jerusalem. He was a right-hand support of Peter on the day of Pentecost. And after Jesus' ascension and the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, John, together with Peter, took a prominent part in the founding and the guidance of the church. He was with Peter at the healing of the lame man at Solomon's porch in the temple, and he was also thrown into prison with Peter. He went with Peter to visit the newly converted believers in Samaria. John ministered with Peter, as stated in Acts chapter 3, 4, and 8. And finally, John was exiled to the island of Patmos by the Romans, where he received from God the majestic visions that comprise the book of Revelation. Together, John and his brother James were called by Jesus sons of thunder. And therein we find the key to John's personality. Both brothers were characterized by zeal, passion, and ambition. In his early days with Jesus, at times, John acted rashly, recklessly, impetuously, and aggressively. We see him in Mark chapter 9, verse 38 to 41, forbidding a man to cast out demons in Jesus' name because he was not part of the twelve. Jesus gently rebuked him, saying no one could cast out demons in Jesus' name and then turn around and speak evil of him. In Luke chapter 9, <coughs> chapter 9 verse 51 and 54, we see the brothers wanting to call down fire from heaven to destroy the Samaritans who refused to welcome Jesus. Again, Jesus had to rebuke them for their intolerance and lack of genuine love for the lost. John's zeal for Jesus was also influenced by his natural ambition, as seen in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 24, in his request through his mother that he and his brother be seated on Jesus' right and left, left hands in the kingdom, an incident that caused a temporary rift between the brothers and the other disciples. In spite of these youthful expressions, 
of misdirected passion, John aged well. He began to understand the need for humility in those who desired to be great. John is the only gospel that records Jesus washing the disciples' feet. John chapter 13, verse 4 to 16. Jesus' simple act of servanthood must have impacted greatly on John. By the time of the crucifixion, Jesus had enough confidence in the young man to turn the care of his mother over to him, a charge which John took very seriously. And from that day on, John cared for her as if she were his own mother. John chapter 19, verse 25 to 27. John's rash request for special honor in the kingdom had given way to a compassion and humility that would characterize his ministry in his later life. Although he remained courageous and bold, his ambition was balanced by the humility he learned at Jesus' feet. This willingness to serve others and suffer for the sake of the gospel must have enabled him to bear his final imprisonment on Patmos, where according to historical sources, he lived in a cave, cut off from those he loved, and was treated with cruelty and reproach. John is considered to have been exiled to Patmos during the persecutions under Emperor Domitian. And Revolutions chapter 1 verse 9 says that the author wrote the book on Patmos. I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. By referring to himself as your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and, pa- and patient endurances, endurance that are ours in Jesus, John had learned to look beyond his earthly sufferings to the heavenly glory that awaits all who patiently endure. John was passionately passionately devoted to, to the proclamation of proclaiming the truth. No one in scripture except the Lord Jesus had more to say about the concept of truth. His joy was in proclaiming the truth to others and then watching them walk in it. Third John chapter 4. The strongest condemnation was for those who perverted the truth and who led others astray, especially if they claimed to be, to be believers. First John chapter 2 verse 4. His passion for truth fueled his concern for the sheep who might be deceived by false teachers. And his warnings about them take up much of 1 John. He had no qualms about identifying as false prophets and antichrists those who tried to pervert the truth, even proclaiming them to be demonic in nature. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 and 26, chapter 3, verse 7, and chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. John is depicted as the one leaning against Jesus' breast at the Last Supper. His brief second epistle is filled with expressions of deep love for those in his care. He addresses his first epistle to a group of believers whom I love in the truth, and he exhorts them to love one another by walking in obedience to Jesus' commands. The strongest trait in John's character was his dependability. 
He was prompt and courageous, faithful and devoted. John had a cool and daring courage, which few of the other apostles possessed. He was the one apostle who followed right along with Jesus the night of the arrest, and he dared to accompany his master to the very jaws of death. He was present and near at hand right up to the last earthly hour and was found faithfully carrying out his trust with regard to Jesus' mother and ready to receive such additional instructions as might be given during the last moments of the Master's mortal existence. One thing is certain, John was thoroughly dependable. John usually sat on Jesus' right hand when the twelve were at a meal. He was the first of the twelve really to fully believe in the resurrection. And he was the first to recognize the Master when he came to them on the seashore after his resurrection. John's life serves to remind us of several lessons that we can apply to our own lives. First, zeal for the truth must always be balanced by a love for people. Without it, zeal can turn to harshness and judgmentalism. And yet, abundant love that lacks the ability to discern truth from error can become gushing sentimentality. John learned as he matured, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.15, that if we speak the truth in love, we and those we touch will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Confidence and boldness, not softened by compassion and grace, can quickly turn to pride and smugness. Confidence is a wonderful virtue, but without humility, it can become self-confidence, which can lead to boasting and an attitude of exclusiveness. And when that happens, our witness of the grace of God is tainted, and others see in us exactly the kind of person that they do not wish to be. And unfortunately, this is happening in the world much, much too often today. Like John, if we are to be effective witnesses for Christ, our demeanor should be one that reflects a passion for the truth, compassion for people, and an unwavering desire to serve and represent our Lord by reflecting his humility and his grace. There was a bright young girl of 15 who was suddenly cast upon a bed of suffering, completely paralyzed on one side and nearly blind. She heard the family doctor say to her parents that they, as they stood by her bedside that she has seen her best days. Poor child. No, doctor, she exclaimed. My best days are yet to come when I shall see the king in his beauty. And that is our hope. We shall not sink into destruction because Christ rose from the dead to give us a pledge of our own rising. The resurrection is the great antidote for fear of death. And nothing else can take its place. Riches, genius, worldly pleasures, or pursuits. None of these can bring us consolation in the dying hour. All my possessions for a moment of time, cried Queen Elizabeth I when dying. The last words of Cardinal Borgia were, I have provided in the course of my life 
for everything except death. And now, alas, I am to die unprepared. Compare this with these, the last words of one of the early Christians. <clears throat> I am weary. I will now go to sleep. Good night. He had the sure hope of awakening in a better land. At the Battle of Inkerman, during the Crimean War on November 5th, 1854, between the Allied armies of Britain, France, and Ottoman Empire against the Imperial Russian Army, a soldier was just able to crawl to his tent after he was struck down. When found, he was lying upon his face, his open Bible before him, and his hand glued fast to that page by his lifeblood, which covered it. It is said that when the hand was lifted, the letters of the, of the printed page were clearly traced upon his hand. And with the ever-living promise in and on his hand, they laid him in a soldier's grave. The words were, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. From the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verse 25. The Apostle John was also called the Apostle of Love. In his own Gospel, he refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Since John was the youngest of the twelve and so closely associated with Jesus in his family affairs, he was very dear to the Master. But can it be truthfully said that he was the disciple whom Jesus loved? You would hardly suspect Jesus to be guilty of showing favoritism of loving one of his apostles more than the others. It's interesting that John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, because love is a recurring theme in much of John's writings. And this from a man who had learned about love from the master teacher of love. In John's letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he made more than 25 references to love. John knew that Jesus knew him fully, and yet still loved him. First John chapter 4, verses 7 to 10 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In fact, John never uses his own name to refer to himself anywhere in his gospel. What is clear is that John knew and experienced that he was loved by God. And that was apparently all that mattered to him in terms of his identity. And this would also explain the title of the disciple whom Jesus loved was not evidence that the Lord had favorites. Jesus himself does not use this title for John or any of the apostles. This is merely John's self-description of the fact that he was loved by the Lord and he knew that personally. And if you are saved by the Lord's grace, then you are the disciple whom Jesus loves. You are the disciple who follows after the Lord 
The beloved disciple is you, if you are a Christian. For we read in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world, the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And in Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40, Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And John 15, 12, 14, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. So, are you the disciple whom Jesus loves? He gave his life for you. How can he show his love for you more than this? From John's Gospel, we learned that Jesus uses a whole cluster of images to define his identity and mission. He is the living water. He is the bread that comes down from heaven. He is the good shepherd. And he is the resurrection and the life. He speaks of himself as I am. He is the creative, eternal one who has been sent by the Father, seeking only to give glory to him. Only a handful of those who see and hear really understand. They are drawn to believe and they remain. The rest either come near for a while and then fall away or angrily reject him, calling him a blasphemer, shouting for his death because no one can remain neutral about Jesus. He gives rise to conflict between light and darkness, life and death. John's Gospel also tells the story of a new community. Jesus chooses a few ordinary men and shares his life with them so deeply that they will manifest the glory and the love of the Father. They are called to love one another as Jesus loves them. They will be a people bearing the name for the mission which the Son has been given by the Father, is now given to the disciples. Those characteristics of Jesus which John most appreciated were the Master's love and unselfishness. These traits made such an impression on him that his whole subsequent life became dominated by the sentiment of love and brotherly devotion. He talked about love and he wrote about love the Son of Thunder, became the Apostle of Love. And church tradition has it that when John was released from exile, he returned to Ephesus. And when the aged John, aged John was no longer able to stand, but had to be carried in the arms of his disciples to the gathering of believers, and, when the close of the me- and at the close of the meeting, when he was asked to say a few words to the believers, for years, His only utterance was, my little children love one another. Near the end of his life, it is said that the Apostle John constantly repeated the phrase, little children love one another. 
After a time, his disciples, wearied at always hearing the same words, asked, Master, why do you always say this? It is the Lord's command, was his reply. And if this alone be done, it is enough. Amen. That's the band. Heavenly Father, come before this morning, just considering how much you love us. As we leave this building, may we live in your love. May we love a bit more like you did, uh, like you do. Uh, may we love others the same.